Hello and welcome to this, the 31st episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Ogue McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And it's been another hectic week this week i'm having an absolute ball on the house by tom murphy at the abbey um we did our dress rehearsal last night so this evening we will be welcoming an audience into the theater for the first time which is that kind of magical changeover moment where there's only so much you can do with a show in the confines of a rehearsal room or even in a theater during tech it comes to a point where that that conversation that communion that louise lowe talked about on on last week's show um, can't exist without that audience there and so uh, i'm personally absolutely delighted uh, that we're going to get them in to be part of that conversation then and to and to kind of play with each other as kind of performers and audience members. Um, I think it's, it's what we need at this stage. Still doesn't mean it's not absolutely terrifying to be getting a paying public in tomorrow. Um, and, you know, that's something I'm acutely aware of. I, obviously, these are previews. Previews have a function um, and it's there for us as a, as a company to kind of feel it out and, and, and grow and develop it over this, you know, period of previews. But equally, you've got to bear in mind that this is a group of, of the paying public who, in the middle of a recession, have saved up their cash, put their hands in their pockets, and gone and bought tickets to come and see this show. So you owe them a performance. You owe them a show. So you've got to go out there and give them absolutely everything you've got while still you know, using the previews for their, uh, for their function. But I think you know, I'm really looking forward to getting ready to do it. Uh, if you're around at all, do pop down, check out the previews, then maybe even come back later on in the run, see how the show's developed from there. Um, it's all going to be great. Uh, another kind of interesting thing that's been going on this week is that, um, well, obviously, while working on the house, I'm sharing a dressing room with Carl Shields and I'm hearing so many amazing things about this uh, kind of the return of theatre upstairs that's going to be over at Lanigan's on the Keys um, it's uh, it's all coming together amazingly and some of the shows and the lineup and the programme that he's putting together for the first couple of months uh, of this is kind of staggering um, there's a whole world of world premieres in there great new writing exciting stuff and, and kind of brilliantly for us here at Rise um, it turns out that one of the shows was submitted uh, as a result of the call out that we did from Carl a couple of weeks ago saying that you know if you had ideas for show come and pitch it to him so I, I mean I guess the best thing to do is to reiterate that now if you want to get in touch if you have a play you've been sitting on for a while or tinkering with if you have an idea for a show that you saw a couple of years ago on holidays somewhere that you've always thought would be great for Irish audiences get in touch with Carl um, and, and let him know what's going on you can get them there they're at theatreupstairs at gmail.com for any ideas you want to run by them Carl is one of the most approachable guys in the business um, so don't be afraid to get in touch with them and you know his enthusiasm is amazing um and obviously i can't talk too much about what he's got going on there i can't reveal any of his plans but um certainly the initial you know half a dozen shows really seem to be kind of spectacular stuff coming up so i you know i wish him uh, a huge amount of success so look uh, you know as ever we bring you this chat absolutely free of charge we've promised that we won't ever charge for these conversations but you know we are encouraging you to go and support irish theater and support new ventures like carl's and indeed big ventures like the abbey uh, and the best way to do that is of course as ever to go out and buy yourself some tickets. Put your money where your mouth is. If you want to support Irish theatre, then support Irish theatre. Go out there and keep this whole machine ticking over. Um, go and get yourself some tickets. If tickets are outside your reach, go to one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie, where there are always you know, a whole load of theatre companies running funding campaigns over there. Donations start from as low as a fiver, and there are always great rewards in return for those donations, so you're not just throwing money away uh, for nothing. Uh, of course, there are ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and 
tell people about the podcast. Spread the word about us so we can spread the word about the shows that we're promoting here. Um, you can share the link to this podcast on Facebook. And, of course, you can retweet it over on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. Helps us out a huge amount, as ever. Um, you can stream the podcast from fightnight.ie. If you're out and about, that fightnight.ie website is optimized for, uh, for iPhone and mobile devices, which is a good help to get it from there if iTunes won't download it for you. And, of course, you can also access us on radiomade.ie. Uh, do please go back and listen to all our other episodes and please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. We're at this now, uh, the guts of seven months at this stage. If you've been with us for the start, hell, even if you've only joined us recently, I'd like to think we've given you a fair amount of insight and entertainment and a bit of crack and a bit of enjoyment over those months. Uh, if you feel like we've given you a bit of enjoyment, we've never asked you for any money for it up front, maybe go, well, at least I can, you know, the least I can do for them is go over and leave one of those reviews or even just click to rate us on their five-star rating system over there on iTunes. That's a really quick deal, but it does wonders in terms of raising our profile, which, as we always say, helps us raise the profile for all the other people that we're uh, interviewing here and, and helping to promote their shows. Um, so do please go over there and do that if you get a chance. You can, of course, follow us, Rise Productions, on Facebook. We are Facebook com forward slash rise productions ireland and you can follow us on twitter we are at rise ireland and so we come to this week's guest and this is a lady uh, with whom i go back uh, jesus how long at this stage over 10 years um and it's the brilliant megan reardon of making strange uh who are a very exciting theater company who uh, as you'll hear her talk about in the interview have achieved a huge amount over the years and uh and have a great talent for kind of punching above their weight and and you know doing amazing work um megan is one of those real you know just get up and go go and get them and get them get it done kind of people um that great kind of attitude for you know if an opportunity isn't there for you go and create it which is i guess a lot about what we're doing here with the podcast and, and in general at rise productions um and a really interesting life story you know what takes someone from you know las vegas nevada all the way to dublin to be working in theater here um she's great look as usual i'm not going to talk too much here at the start i'm going to let uh, i'm going to let megan speak for herself so let's get into it here she is the awesome Ms. megan reardon the awesome megan reardon thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast at last it is my pleasure bam right this is awesome um oh, that's using twice in the first 30 seconds that's a lot of awesome already i'm gonna unleash a lot through this yeah. right here we go as we start off every week back to the very beginning how in the name of jesus does a girl get from the wilds of las vegas nevada <laughs> to work in an irish theater how the hell did it start what was the beginning for you um the beginning for me um that i can remember was that um Ooh, full disclosure, I actually lived in California for two years as a child. No, I was born in Las Vegas. We went away and then we came back. So Oh my I know. wonderful images are crashing down. Don't say it out loud, Reardon. But I have to because that is where I first started auditioning because we lived in near LA. Oh, okay. So as a kid, and I don't remember if it was the thing where I wanted to do it or my parents were like let's put the child on TV. I don't remember. We have a mortgage payment this month. Let's put the child on TV. <laughs> like she's recently photogenic. <laughs> um, so I just remember going on loads of uh, commercial auditions. Um, I never got any, but that was my kind of first memory of doing that. And I do know that from like a very small, very, very, very young age that I was um, really into the arts and crafts. And my parents shoved me into piano lessons when I was like two. Like there's okay. pictures of me like in diapers in front of a piano. I can't claim to have been playing in those <laughs> pictures, but you know, that, that was always, I think just part of who I was. Like the, so there was definitely a sense that I would have been performing and entertaining in some way. So, um, so that happened. Um, and then that went away and I never did anything about it until I was, I think 10 or 11. 
And I went to see the movie The Addams Family okay. with some family friends. Oh, it's fun. See where this may be going. Go on. Okay. And uh, the friend of the family, after the film, said, you look like her, about Christina Ricci. I was like, do I? And they're like, yeah, you look like her. You could do that, too. And I was like, you think so? And they're like, yeah. So I started taking classes at a community center in Las Vegas called the Reed Whipple community center that's such an American sounding place that's amazing yeah it's it's true and I ended up pretty much living there for the next eight years until I went away to college Um, because there was a group there called the Rainbow Company uh, which is an ensemble based company of kids from 10 to 18 and there's like 30 I think and then there's four grown-ups who run the show and they do five shows a year And they cast adults as adults and kids as kids. And everybody in the ensemble is required to audition for every show. And if you don't get cast in the show, then you are put on a crew of um, set building, costume building, costume running, running lights, running sound. Um, There is no part of making theater that I didn't do in my six years there. I was was an ensemble member from uh, the ages of 12 to 18. And uh, it was incredible. And then as you got a little bit older, you could do stage management. You could do, um, I think, assistant directing as well. You could have a hand in designing, um, mentored by the senior staff. Yeah. Because there was a, um, uh, there's a set designer and a sound designer. And, uh, you know, they, they all kind of play a lot of roles um, in terms of they would take turns directing shows as well. Um, and it's an incredible program. I mean, I cannot praise this program highly enough. Um, and there's also a, a class aspect to it as well. You have to take one class in the autumn semester, one class in the spring semester. And that can be anything from um, dance classes to like straight up acting, like here's a scene, let's go learn it, um, to um, more, more analysis-based, like script analysis, which is where my love of Hamlet comes in because that's we studied that intensely for four months when I was in high school and it just went in. So that was, um, that was it. Rainbow Company started me off. I did heaps of musical theater in high school. I, um, did you go to one of those funny high schools that's kind of an arts-based high school? No, no, I didn't. I but nearly they exist, did. Don't they? they do, and there's actually um, a big one in Las Vegas that started right before I was going into high school. So loads of my friends went there. Wow. I nearly did, but I stayed in the super academic school that I was at um, because this amazing teacher, Rhonda Carlson, had come in. And um, she... Uh, was this amazing musical theater teacher who I'd worked with kind of privately. And I was like, okay, I'll stay here and do some some of that. There were other factors too. but um, So I did loads of musical theater in high school, which I haven't really gotten back to much except for a few few good examples. Um, Did that. uh, Did a summer program at UCLA when I was 16 that blew the doors off and was my first foray into experimental theater. Right, okay. um, With an amazing guy named Ruben Palendo who uh, is now in New York and um, just I had no idea what theater could be and that I liked doing it like that and he really encouraged me and out of that um, I started looking at theater schools and I uh, got into NYU 
and um, went there and studied at the Atlantic Theatre Company Acting School, which is not experimental. Okay, so, te- well, so tell us a bit about the setup at NYU. I mean, A, tell us about crossing the country. I mean, Jesus, yeah. Vegas to New York is as far as New York to Dublin. Yes, I mean, it about. is. It is, it um, really is, yeah. So that's a big trek to take at that age. But yeah. then also, then tell us about the NYU setup, because there are different schools within NYU yes. in terms of the theatre program, aren't there? Yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, as far as going to New York, um, I... I just always loved it. I don't know where my love of New York came from. Probably the Muppets. (laughs) Probably. Because I just had this feeling about New York. This just like longing or nostalgia or something. I don't know. And then the first time I went there when I was 14, I was like, yeah, this, it was, it was everything. It totally matched that feeling. And I went back again a couple years later with my family who were deeply freaked out by it. That was their first visit there. And I was like, this is great. They're like, it's dangerous. Um, I just always wanted to to go there, be there. And I, I always knew I wasn't going to stick around Las Vegas. Right, okay. There was, I, I always knew I would go away for college. And I guess I always knew that I wouldn't want to move back after as well. And I think some of that is just um, because my sense of where you go to be an actor was New York or L.A. Sure. And that was it. That was my only vision of what it meant to be in the arts was you had to go to one of these big cities. Because even CSI Las Vegas isn't necessarily filmed in CSI Las Vegas. (laughs) It's clearly not because the way they mispronounce street names. That's in the conversation. Um, So that was always like, I was like, I'm I'm just, I'm going. Yeah. Here I go. Um, and it was it was brilliant. I mean, one of the great things about going to school in that city is, um, I mean, it's not a typical American university experience in the slightest. There's no, like, campus campus. It's not yeah. a campus town. There's areas of the city where sort of classrooms and dorms are concentrated, but it's not, it's not a walled community. Yeah. Like, you are in the city. You are there. And I've, a lot of my classes took place in, in areas of the city that were not particularly great at the time so in the past you know 10 years since I've graduated and I've watched the city just absolutely transform in these spaces Um, but as far as the NYU setup goes um, yeah there's there's a bunch of schools within NYU the art school is called Tisch School of the Arts and in the undergraduate drama program there are I believe seven primary studios. Yes. You have to do two, your first two years at one studio. And then from there, you can go on to the advanced studios. Seven primary studios are, if I can remember them, um, the Atlantic Theater Company School, uh, Stella Adler, Lee Strasberg, Sanford Meisner, Cap 21, which is, um, and I did. I actually hope these are still true. This is how they were when I was there. I don't actually know if they're still true, but CAP 21 is an acronym for something I don't remember, but it was the musical theater school. Um, Was that five? The experimental theater wing, which was like Grotowski, very physical. Um, And then the tech track, which is if you wanted to be in tech and design. So you put in two years there and then you get to go, oh no, I'm missing one. No, there's seven studios and tech track. Um, The one I'm missing is Playwrights Horizons which actually has a model most like what I described with Rainbow Company okay. before, where um, it, they, they train all areas of theatrical creation. You're, you create your own work, you design, you direct. And so when you're choosing which of these individual strands, mm-hmm. what's that based on? Is there ever like a, a taster section of this is this, this is that, this is what you might like, or do you just make it, you make a call and then those first two years are 
are kind of single school training. Yeah, they are. I mean, you can if you really don't fit there, you can you can switch. Sure. I mean, it's not like you're locked on a track and that's it till the end of time. Um, as far as choosing it goes, um, you audition and you interview and you talk about where you want to go and what you want to do. I was very into Atlantic. Like I knew people who were doing it and okay. I was, it just seemed really like practical and really like smart and really applicable to a lot of things. And it was totally different than how I'd looked at actor training before. And I was like, yeah, this is it. So I just pretty much just went in there like Atlantic or experimental theater wing. The two cannot be more opposite, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they put me in Atlantic and, um, I think they can probably put you somewhere if you don't know where to go or if, or that, I, I, but I don't know how it was for right, okay. other people. Um, and then, and then after two years you can do things like study abroad, um, which is how I ended up here. Um, you can, uh, go into classical where you look at Shakespeare. You can go to Stone Street where it's film and TV. There was a studio called Style and Character, but I don't really know what they did there. Um, or you can switch to another primary studio. Like, uh, I have friends who did two years at Atlantic, then went to the Experimental Theater Wing. Right, okay. Uh, so, you know, after a certain, after two years, you can, you can kind of guide your own curriculum after that point. And was it after those two years that you spent your summer in upstate New York, in Saratoga Springs, uh, with a collection of wonderful performers and actors from around the world, most notably a certain ginger-haired assassin from Fort Marnock, Angus <laughs> O'Macanelli? <laughs> It is after those first two years in Atlantic <laughs> that I met a certain ginger-haired assassin. So, look, talk to me about um, that summer training with Anne Bogart and oh, the City geez. Company. Because certainly for me, uh, you know, I always say, and this is with no disrespect to my hugely brilliant and formative time at Trinity, uh, but I do feel that I learned almost as much in that month in New York as I did in the three years in Trinity. It had such a profound effect on me. I agree with that completely, completely. Um, especially... You know, as I said before, the, the Atlantic training, to give you kind of a bit of context on it, is um, it's, it's based around um, kind of its, its, its center touchstone is this analysis technique of a, of a script, which is um, it's pretty anti-Strasbourg. It's anti kind of sense memory stuff. Um, it was founded by David Mamet and William H. Macy, and that gives you kind of a sense of the emotional timbre of yeah. the... Uh, the work that we do there. And it's not that it was anti-physical, it's just that so much of the early training was all about this kind of thinking that when it, it was later when we started doing things of the body. And Kelly Maurer was one of my teachers, one of the city company members. Um, she, was, she taught us Suzuki and viewpoints in that second year. And I was like, this is doing something. This is really interesting. So. Yeah, doing a month of that. I can't believe it was a month. Long. Yeah, I, know. I can't believe it was a month. It is so intense. And I just, I felt like it, it, um, it changed my relationship to theater um, in a way that I didn't really understand at the time. Um, and it set in motion like totally different ways of, of thinking about theater, making theater. Um, some of the connections and friendships I made there have obviously lasted very long time um but yeah i just remember going back to new york city that summer and feeling like my awareness was fully in my body and then as i was in the city it just kind of crept back up until i was just my head again <laughs> yeah if that makes sense now also it would have been only whatever three or four months after that time uh, in Saratoga Springs that you'd been back there and uh, the terrorist attacks at the World Trade Center happened. Um, that's right. 
Yes. That must have been, I mean, what was that like being there at the time? And what, what did that do to change people's perspectives? Um, it was, I don't know. How, it's funny. I've spent a lot of time. We spent obviously a lot of time thinking and talking about it after the effect. And then last year when it was the whole 10 year anniversary frenzy, um, a lot of that stuff came back up. It was, um, it really changed me in ways that have more to do with how it affected the choices I saw I could make about my life rather than um, it changed me emotionally, if, right. if that makes sense. Like it was, it, the thing is it was so horrible, you actually didn't experience it as that bad in the moment because your brain is just in denial. Yeah. It got worse as the days went by. Like the Thursday and Friday of that week, because it happened on a Tuesday, Thursday and Friday of that week, we were like, it, this is not getting better. Yeah. This is not going to go away or make sense. And it was, um, you know, that was, I, I was spending another semester in Atlantic then. Right. And I knew this was going to be my last year of school. I was going to finish in three years rather than four because I had taken summer classes and I had credits from high school that I could apply. And NYU is lovely but very expensive. So <laughs> I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut a year off this. And uh, so I knew it was my last year of school. And it really, um, all of us in Atlantic that year, we just like clicked in. And we, we were such a family then. But we also all realized that there was so much that we wanted to do and that was available to us. And we all, almost all of us went abroad. Right. To the point where there actually was no Atlantic third year the second semester. They didn't have anybody sticking around because I think it was less like we have to get out of New York because it's not safe and more just like, <laughs> we need to live, damn it. <laughs> you know, like it was, it, it just really cracked open a lot of, it, it was, it, it was an incredible like defibrillation of, yeah like got rid of a lot of bullshit for a while. These things kind of wear off sometimes. I mean, yeah. we're still ourselves yeah. after all that, but it, it clarified a lot of things. And, uh, and that's, that's how I ended up in Dublin. Did it change your sense of how American you were? Did you feel more American afterwards or less American? I mean, mm. I mean over there, were you, because over here, you're the American girl in Ireland. But yeah. over there, I mean, there is a strong Irish heritage with you anyway. So over mm -hmm. there, were you the Irish American girl? No. No, not at all. Right, okay. Not at all, not at all. No, I've, I never really thought of myself that way at all prior to coming here, actually. I mean, you ask Americans, like, what are you? And they'll happily say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Italian, I'm yeah. German, I'm whatever. And, like, after living here, I'm like, no. No, you're not. <laughs> you're American. <laughs> and, of course, the worst offense of that is all the Americans are like, I'm Irish. You are not Irish. <laughs> You're just not, and I like raised my hands. I totally did that. Yeah. But I was I was into it in that very kind of like wear green on St. Patrick's Day, sure. whatever. I had no idea what that actually meant. Yeah. Okay. No, I no sense of that uh, as as an identity. What that actually meant in terms of Ireland's political and cultural heritage and the legacy of that in my own family and yeah. What but then you got means. a taste of Irish culture when you came here. I did. What brought you over? Um. So I, I, uh, I was like, yep, going, going abroad, let's go to Ireland. Always, and I'd had always wanted to, to be here. Sure. I'd been to Europe a handful of times, but I'd never been to Ireland. So um, 
the program sounded great and uh, I was like yeah let's do it let's go for it and so that was January of 2002 I came over um, the drama program was run by uh, Michael Caven right who was then still Michael Caven it was before he, I think he became Michael Barker Caven and uh, my first teacher on our first day of classes was Brian Burroughs. <laughs> that's the way you start. That's the way you start. And Annie Ryan was one of our teachers and Thomas Conway. And, um, you know, we had an incredible time. It was an incredible semester um, for a lot of reasons. Um, one was that the euro had just came in and the dollar was stronger than it. So <laughs> our money went a long way. So we had like a four month long party, which was great. Um, and also I do think it had to do with it being the first spring after September 11th. Yeah. Like it actually felt like a genuine like rebirth. Right. You know, plus immersing myself in this completely different culture. You know, it was, it, and it was like just a little perfect storm. Like it's obviously not so different like we speak the same language ish uh, <laughs> you know um it, it was it was just easy to feel you know connected to this place right away and um and just really diving into the theater and art scene here i it felt very different than than that of america and it was something sure. that i really really kind of fell for yeah you know i had an amazing time here i went back to new york i graduated school I just couldn't stop thinking about it, and I always wanted to come back, and um, just knew I had unfinished business here, and I didn't know why, but I just knew, and um, I decided to go backpacking around Europe the summer after that, so I did the year of like, I am going to be an actor, and work three jobs, and <laughs> not know what I'm doing with my life. Um, Though I did do some cool work at that time. I did work with Lear de Bessie yes. on Transfigures, which was amazing. Um, and pretty hugely successful for you guys over Pretty hugely well. successful. Like, it was a really good... Um, it was really successful for, for how it was at the time. Like, I think we all felt like it was a major achievement. And I know it opened a lot of doors for her. And then a couple of years later, it came back. Right. At, uh, Off-Broadway at the Women's Project, um, which was I wasn't in that um, there was only one cast member who stuck around because it was substantially reworked I believe that was that was that was pretty cool um, but still Ireland called so I just went backpacking around Europe I ended up back in Dublin to see my friends and I just went I'm staying I'm staying and I talked my way into Trinity that was starting in like two months <laughs> a master's program I'm like please let me in I have American money as a non-EU student and yes. he said okay that's fine and I did the M Phil and Irish Theatre and Film for a year. Uh, how brilliant was that? <laughs> I will be honest, I struggled in that year. Okay. But I think that had to do with a lot of things. It right. was absolutely brilliant being here. And it was absolutely what I needed to do. I knew that I needed to come here, be here, see what this thing was. Um, but it was hard. Like, I realized that I'm not going to go into academia. Yeah, sure. And that was a real rude awakening because I'd gone to this really academic school. Um, NYU has a liberal arts requirement in addition to their acting training, so it's not a conservatory. Okay. So I was still doing writing classes and um, science classes. I mean, there were social science classes, sure. but and history of theater classes and stuff. So I was definitely like into exercising that part of my brain and my identity. But then I went into a really like serious like master's academic program, and I was like. I just felt like, first of all, I felt really American, even though okay. there were a lot of other Americans in that course. I just felt 
really American, and especially because I I was I learned that when I spoke about theater, I was really looking at it as a practitioner and as someone who's experienced it. So I felt comparatively inarticulate because sure. I would be like, but it's like you know when you like <laughs> feel and you roll around <laughs> on the floor. And clearly, I didn't speak like that in front of you know Anna McMullen, but I. I felt like that the whole time. I just yeah. felt like I didn't fit in and my perspective wasn't quite what they were looking for. And um, But ultimately, I'm grateful because it really clarified that. When did I see you do the uh, Marina Carr play? Was that in the first one or the second one? That was with NYU. That was Those our final NYU, Which show. was amazing. It was, <laughs> no, it really was. It was probably amazing. Thanks. Because you pulled it off. You were completely convincing the Irish. Really? Uh, yeah, sure you were. And I told you at the time, because you could curse properly. Americans can't curse properly. You know how to say fuck properly. It's great. Uh, I was very impressed with that. Uh, uh, it's the little things like this that do it for me. That's good. Um, that's a good right, compliment. okay. So then, well then talk to me then about the transition from that master's program into yeah. being here and being a working actress then. I mean, sure. how, how quickly did, how, how quickly did Hedwig come around mm-hmm. and the whole Making Strange kind of project come Thing. around? Um, well, um, it was about a year after I finished at Trinity that we did Hedwig. Right. Um, I wasn't here that whole time. I went back to New York for the summer. I came back to do a show in the Fringe. I decided to keep sticking around. Um, and another American, Joe Rock, had also been in Ireland through NYU. And he was over the semester. I did my semester. But that was actually his second time doing the abroad program. Because right, okay. he'd been once, met his partner, came back. Um, and I didn't really know him then because he wasn't in the acting program in my abroad semester. He did his own Irish studies module. And then uh, he was doing the masters. And that's how I first started hearing about it. I'm like, yeah, cool, I'll do that. That sounds good. <laughs> and that's where we really, really started developing our friendship and realized that we have a lot of the same taste and a lot of the same interest in being here. And um, so when we were kind of cooling our heels at the end of 2004, just like, what are we doing? What are we going to do? How are we going to get work here? And it's the very New York thing of you just make it yourself. Yeah. You just, you just got to do it. Make it yourself. And he loved this play, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. He loved it. I didn't know it at that time, but he had seen it off-Broadway eight or nine or 12 times. I mean, <laughs> loved it. Because that was running when we were at NYU, and that was definitely a thing students went and did. I don't know why I never went, but... But he had been loads of times, and he really loved it. And he had a copy of the script, and he gave me a copy of the CD, and I was like, "Yeah, this," because it's perfectly reasonable to have your first show in a foreign country be a rock musical with the four-piece band. And why not jump in at the deep end? Why not just <laughs> do it? Yeah. So we, um, but we did it. We found musicians through friends of friends. Um, that went up in. June of 2005 at the Focus Theatre. And according to a certain Mr. O'Brien, it sold like two or three times its capacity many nights. It Although did. if the fire officer is listening, it definitely it never happened. That never happened. That's an <laughs> urban legend. That's right. And um, speaking of Mr. O'Brien, um, Keen O'Brien was our producer at the time we met him through... Whatever Richard. happened to him? I know, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, we just, we, we just kind of made it happen really and the whole making strange name came from the fact we were just doing this and um one day joe called me he's like oh by the way if anybody asks you know what our company name is if they need to know like who's doing this it's making strange i said okay <laughs> that was it okay i like it Deep that was artistic it. reasoning I'm behind like, it yep 
Cool. But I've I've kept it because I like it. Yeah. I really do. I do. And it's you Had know. you any indication that it was going to be the runaway success that it was? No. <laughs> no, 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 we didn't know because we we it was um you know it was hard going it was hard going and 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 joe had i mean he put out like pulled out such a performance he had so much to do like that's that is a hard show to both sing and and it's i'm in it but like yitzhak the the Croatian drag queen roadie that I play, uh, barely Still speaks. fighting that time casting. <laughs> <laughs> I tried dyeing my hair and everything, it just sticks. Um, you know, I, so he really had a huge burden and it was, um, it was stressful, but um, we just, I mean, we knew it was special. We knew the material was special. We knew our bond to it was, was strong. We knew there was loads of interest in it. Um, like we were interviewed by Peter Crawley in advance. Okay. Um, you know, we we felt like it was there was there was something really great about doing this show in Ireland. We knew that people hadn't seen anything like this before. Um, we didn't know that it would sell two to three times the fire capacity, <laughs> which didn't happen. Um, we we didn't know that we'd be asked back to be in the, the Spiegel tent um, and then win an award for that. We won the I think it was the most entertaining Spiegel tent show in the Dublin Fringe that year. Um, so first ever show and you're winning awards in the fringe. That's not bad going. Yeah. <laughs> we were very, very proud of ourselves. And then we brought it back the next year in summer of 2006 um, in Project Upstairs for two weeks. And that was, that was great. And at that point, um, we had our band. Um, our band was most of what would become Dead Cat Bounce about okay. a year and a half later, which is how I first met those guys right okay and you've yeah. done quite a bit with them over the years including tv stuff with them yeah um in 2008 they did a pilot for rte and i was in it i, I had a bit part in that yeah they're a properly exciting gang of fellas they, they are really exciting yeah yeah i'm um they we were on tour a lot the last few years um me with my show luck and um them with all of their shows that they just keep relentlessly churning out because they are so unfairly prolific <laughs> it's ridiculous but yeah we were we I've, I've worked kind of alongside them a bit and then this year I'm gonna work with them a little bit but um, if you want to stick to the chronology we'll cross that bridge no, that's okay. well, I was gonna, well in my head I was thinking in terms of scale going from Hedwig being the first and already winning awards mm. but you're going look we're just gonna go out there and make it happen then mm -hmm. if we fast forward a couple of years to um, the, the Judas show, which yeah. was just enormous and like yeah. again ridiculously successful. Yeah. How did that come into your awareness as a show that might be worth doing? Um, that one also actually came to me by way of Joe Rock, even though I think he had left Ireland at that point because he went back to America at the end of two thousand seven. Right. Okay. Um, after we'd done three shows together, so we did Hedwig, then we did a show in the Fringe called Revisions that I devised and directed, which also won an award. <laughs> but who's counting? Like, um, and then we did um, the Irish premiere of a show called The Coming World by yes. Christopher Shin. The two of us did that together, and then he went back to America after that. Um, and I can't remember at what point he told me about this play, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot by Stephen Adley Gurgis. Um, or Gurgis, I'm actually not sure how you say his last name. Um, but, and I read it on his recommendation, and I... I, it was like the thing when I read Hedwig, I just went, 
this is amazing. This yeah. is an amazing piece. It speaks to me on so many levels. It's like personally and like it would be so satisfying to do as as actors and give actors these roles and I was like you can't do it you can't do this play you can't do this play there's like 25 characters like you can't do this play I have to do this play I, I just yeah. there I don't remember when the switch flipped but I just went this is what I want to do this is what I want to do this is so much about the thing that's always interested me in as as my work with and for Making Strangers developed, it's, it's really had this thread running through of looking at the stories we tell ourselves yeah. to get through our lives and what that means. I mean, that can mean so many things, but what it, when I read this play, I was like, this is, this is speaking to me in ways. Again, like a lot of things I do or that happen to me, I don't really understand at the time. And I just go, this, there's something here, I need to do this thing. And then afterwards I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what that was about. And uh, Judas was definitely that. It was definitely that. It was definitely, um, I just found it so compelling in looking at, not, not even for, there's lots of reasons. They're all jostling for privacy <laughs> in my head. Just like, oh, me first. Um, I was really compelled by the way it it delivered a Christian, for lack of a better word, message without actually being about that. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of looking at, basically, it was looking at suffering. It was looking at suffering and how we cause that for ourselves. And that's what I was interested in. And the fact that it was this like really irreverent take on the afterlife and God and like you have heaps of cursing and trash talking and like people are over the top and in your face and I was yeah I was just kind of in love with it so you got a pretty remarkable cast together for that yes. show yes yeah we did it was insane we did yeah Mark Lambert Eleanor Methvin. I can't even name them all. It would, we would be here an hour. Yeah, exactly. But everybody, everybody was just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I remember Kate Brennan just being amazing as well. And you go, yeah. Jeez, oh, and Will Irvine as well. Everybody. Like, like you say, you could list them all off and be here all day. Yeah. But also, it then was massively successful and mm -hmm. may have picked up another nomination or award or two <laughs> here and there. Um, yes, that was nominated for two Irish Times Theatre Awards. Um, one for Kate Brennan, uh, who you just mentioned, and one for our uh, amazing director, Matt Torney. I mean, I, like, and at that stage, you're going, like, this is, you know, it's, it's huge. That's, yeah. like, to be getting that kind it of recognition. Was. And also, to be getting that kind of recognition when you've had the balls to go and take on this, you know, huge show, which yeah. for a company that, you know, obviously had done a lot of stuff over the years, but you might have thought scale-wise that that might have been, you know, possibly a bridge too far for you guys to take on, but you yeah. did it and you pulled it off amazing. I mean, we definitely punched above our weight on yeah. that one. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, you say massively successful, like, in terms of finances, it it wasn't, and I took on some. I took a financial hit for that, and that is just kind of how I roll. I mean, that's kind of how I was raised: is that you you do it, you put everything you have into it. I don't advocate that for young theater makers listening out there. Um, I do not advocate that model right, okay. anymore. I don't regret anything I did. Yeah, but I don't advocate doing that particularly in this climate. This was a couple of years ago, so yeah. things were different then. Um, 
but yeah, I think a lot of it was the strength of the material. I think, and there's when I when I thought, yeah, let's do this. I thought I would direct it, and then the minute I got the money, I went, I can't direct it. Really, I can't direct it, and. Um, I approached Matt Torney about it because I just kind of knew. Because I'd worked with him before on Wojciech, sure. um, the Seed show in 2005. And he had he was just finishing up at Columbia, uh, which is run by M. Bogart, the Columbia Directing Program, grad directing. Um, and I just knew, I was like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't direct this thing. And um, yeah, I couldn't be happier with the process of working with Matt and, Great. and everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, and of course, Judas wouldn't have been possible without the support of Project Art Center as well, um, who were incredible in their support of the project and uh, getting us into the space upstairs. And it was around that time that they brought me on as one of their associate artists, which uh, is now called the Catalyst Program. And I've been a part of that ever since. And I really actually can't overemphasize how crucial project has been to my life and my development here. Um, the amount of support and resources that I've had as being a catalyst have absolutely like changed me and given me an incredible foundation to work from. That's fab. Yeah. Well, then let's go back chronologically a bit sure. because you mentioned it to a little show that I may had some success for you in Making <laughs> Strange, yes. which was, of course, Luck. Yes. Now, okay, let, this was a global phenomenon, so we'll get, in, we'll get into it. I mean, how, how far around the world has it toured? I, um, I believe, okay, it has been performed in seven venues, in five cities, in, on, in four countries on three different continents. <laughs> yeah. That's not yeah. bad going. Not bad. Well, you know, I think someone who might be interviewing me might have a similar model going on with his. Hey, listen, <laughs> global domination global is what Rise Productions has always been about. <laughs> so look, okay, the story of luck. You yeah. are the daughter of a professional gambler. Yes. Is that where the, the spark for the whole thing came? Yeah, it um, it it came from, where, where it really came from was um, one of my very best friends, Dodd Loomis, who I had been in Dublin with. We went to NYU together, didn't know each other in New York, ended up on the abroad program, which was very small, and just like got on like a house on fire. And then, you know, I had ended up moving here and he was in New York doing loads of awesome things in New York and touring the world with Mabu Mines as an assistant director with them. And Most recently he was assisting on? Yes, he was the assistant on Spider-Man the Musical to Julie Taymor. Which is phenomenal. Which was amazing, which was an in incredible, yeah. So um, his work with Mabu Mines brought him to the Kilkenny Arts Festival in 2007. Right. And it was my first time seeing him in a very long time. And while he was here, he said, I want to work with you again. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. I don't know what we do. And we really struggled for a while. Like we had no idea like what that meant. Um, and I put in an application for the Dublin Fringe for 2008, in early 2008. Not really, like with some very weird sketched out idea that he and I had had, had that was very conceptual and I don't even really remember what it was about. And then about a month after that application went in, I did a workshop with Vivi Teas, who is a director from Argentina, uh, who specializes 
uh, in live family portraits. That was what the workshop was called, live family portraits. And she has done pieces where she puts non-actors on stage. Um, starting with her family, she did a piece with her mom and her aunt. Um, she showed us video clips of, of work she's done beyond her family, but it's, it's really focusing on um, people who are not trained and putting them on stage and having them tell their stories and crafting that in a way that looks very, very natural, but is, is very, uh, very, very artistic. Sure. And requires quite a bit of finesse to get the non-trained um, performers to kind of sit with it with, it with ease. Um, so I did that, and, and the, the Irish contingent in the room had live family portraits going. They had their family members come in and did bits with them, and Priscilla Robinson was in that. Um, Phelan Cannon from Broken Talkers was in that as well. There was heaps of other people, and they brought in... Anyone who could bring in a family member did. I obviously couldn't. So I decided to do it about my Irish great-grandfather, who had left for America when he was very small, and just tracing the story of the men in my family, the Irish-American men, like what is that about? Because there was so much of that that I came to realize that's what my time in Ireland was learning to understand, is um, a lot of it has to do with storytelling. And a lot of aspects of what it means to tell yourself things about yourself yeah. and how that you can see it run like a like a thread through a family and then coming to me and so i did this piece about about all of them um and did you know stuff with my dad and i had video clips to show from tv shows he'd been on i had a copy of his book um i and i talked about my involvement with him as well in terms of gambling and stuff and uh so we yeah we made these pieces at the end of the workshop and uh, after that, we had a little reception, and um, <laughs> that was my first foray into the vegan cheese ball as well. Actually, <laughs> I made it for, I made it for that, um, and uh, and someone said, I think it was probably Phelan, said, you should do a show about that, and I went, that's my friend show, that's my show with Dodd. Yeah. Called him, I said, we're doing like we're doing this. He was like fired up about it. He knew my dad. He'd he'd stayed at my house in Vegas before for New Year's and stuff. So he was like all over it. Then we didn't know what that was going to be for another few months until I was in New York for the summer and we both did a workshop with the company, the team, um, who have performed in Dublin uh, a couple times or at least once. They did particularly in the Heartland here and they go to Edinburgh every year and win all the awards and are amazing. And we did this workshop with them and out of that came the format, which was that the show was going to be, the show was going to have games, was going to be a game, was going to be different every night. And um, that was June. In July, he came. We did a week's development on it. In At the end of August, he came. We put the show together in like two weeks, and wow. that was it. Yeah. And then it just, uh, the the, you know, horse was out of the barn at that point. <laughs> uh, and, of course, throughout that summer, time uh, both with the week in July and then uh, putting it up um, right before the fringe in, in September we were working very closely with Sean Sternick our contributing writer who uh, wrote the beautiful monologues that really ended up forming the backbone of the piece and um, in fact later on uh, when we went to New York we actually added a monologue for New York and it was really at that point that we felt like the show was actually complete 
and it, it properly yeah. exploded. It was it was yeah. huge for you guys here, and and like you say, you've, you've taken it all over the world. I mean, yeah, I mean, within a year, within a year of doing it in Panty Bar, we had uh, performed it again in Bewley's um, because we won the Bewley's Award at the Fringe, like someone else in this room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we went to Cork Midsummer, we went to Edinburgh, and we went to New York, and we had an Australian tour lined up within a wow. year. That's insane. It's insane, but and the 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 it, at the time I was like, yeah, this is just totally great. This is totally how things are going to be from just now do, on. Just just make a show, you tour it around the world. It's not how things were going to be from <laughs> from then on. But I definitely appreciated it all the time, and and just, um, but it, it it shocked us. It shocked us all. This is no, in no way where we thought it would go. I'm, I'm remembering vegan cheese balls. I'm remembering a goodie bag to take away with yes, you yes i'm also remembering shots of real life genuine legit whiskey mm -hmm. that you gambled on each night yeah. and i have a recollection that i might have made you take a couple shots during the show that i came to see i the don't run in party bar maybe i don't recall probably because you made me drink a double <laughs> that's probably why i don't recall it but i think you may be right yeah yeah uh, glory days yeah um well look so it had this amazing life in the immediate kind of aftermath of it where it yeah. toured around the globe yeah. um, and picked up a whole load of attention then after that. Yeah. Um, is it true to say that we might be able to officially and exclusively announce anything about it here on this week's podcast? We, it is true. What I can announce is um, that a producer named Barry Weisler saw the show in its run in New York and he has since optioned the rights of the show to be developed into a screenplay. And that process is happening right now. So to laymen out there, mm -hmm. you have sold the rights of luck to possibly go on to full feature film production. I, I will stress the, the possibly. Yeah, okay. Because the, the reality of, of what optioning means, and this is universal, yeah. this is not about my own experience with it, but is that loads of ideas get optioned. Loads, whether they're just, you know, whether it's intellectual property, whether it's a book, whether it's someone's life story, loads of things that get optioned. Um, there's no guarantee then that that gets developed into a screenplay. There's no guarantee that that screenplay then gets picked up by a studio. There's no guarantee that the studio even makes the film. And then there's certainly no guarantee that the film makes money. So there are uh, lots of things that can happen. Sure. Right now we are just very strictly in the... Um, we have sold the rights yes. to develop the material of the show. Yes, but equally, it's an awful lot more than most people out there have done. And equally, in two years' time, you could be going to a cinema to watch Anne Hathaway play Megan Reardon in a movie. <laughs> so, you know, let's not downplay it too much. We're, um, we, we've, we've started a betting pool on who might play us. But, uh. Wow. Who can I be? I can't really. be you. I'll, we'll work apart in yeah, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, so that's just, that just seems phenomenal. Right, okay, let's get to a few little things that I want to touch on sure. before we wrap it up. Okay. You have trained with a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> no way I'm letting you out of here without talking about that. Briefly, you've trained with a Ninja Turtle. I have. Go on. His name is Josh Pice, and he is amazing. He's amazing. He has developed this technique called Committed Impulse, which draws from uh, Grotowski and yoga and all kinds of other things that he's experienced in his life. And... Um, it's, it's an incredible technique that I encountered in that third year of Atlantic training. Um, 
and have since gone back and done other workshops with, and I highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's amazing. It's all about being present and being really, really in touch with what you're feeling. Does he conduct any of these workshops in his Ninja Turtle costume? No. Was he, was he Raphael? In, he was Raphael. In the right. movies? In the movies, um, yes. And my understanding of it, and this is not something I ever sat down and talked with him about because um, I'm rather certain that he's tired of students getting all so up his grill turtle, about it. Yeah, like, is it true? Yeah. My understanding is that he was, um, oh God, I don't want to commit this to podcast if it's not true, but... Um, Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Go. Did you learn that from Dodd Loomis? <laughs> <laughs> um, he, um, he was the only one, I think, who did both the physical, the body acting, and the voice acting. Okay. Because he was um, trained in martial arts. Excellent. And he's an actor, and he's incredible. He is blowing up right now. Josh is um, doing loads of indie film work. He just finished a film with Ellen Page. He's done a load of TV stuff. Like he's, he's all, all of which were in the turtle costume, I presume. Yes, that's a, and that's a definite fact. It's a niche market, right? Look, talk to me about what's coming up ahead. I, I, yeah. There's a lot of stuff we can kind of half talk about, and some stuff we can yes. actually talk about. But you've got you've got some exciting plans for the rest of this year here in Ireland, anyway. I do, yeah. Um, I'm I'm doing um, I'm developing stuff which kind of has no firm performance date in sight, but that's uh, that's sort of the zone I'm in right now, which I think a lot of us are in yeah. right now, um, which is great. Time time is awesome time for things to develop is awesome so I've got a bunch of that but it's also vague it's kind of not worth going into at the moment um I will be involved in the fringe with uh, Dead Cat Bounces show excellent uh which is called Clowns and uh it's um I, I'm I'm gonna be billed as the director but I'm not real I don't see myself as like a director director like okay. the guys direct themselves they write their own stuff they work it out they work so incredibly well together and then they need other people to see it and see what works and what doesn't and it's something i did for their recent show uh howl of the she leopard <laughs> which has just gotten back from a wildly successful tour in australia um the uh they were joking about it, but I think I may want to make it my title. They're like, you're like our dramaturg. So I think I'm going to put on my CV, comedy dramaturg. Nice. Yes. That's totally a job. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that works. Yeah. So I'm, I'm delighted. I'm thrilled to be working with them again. Excellent. Um, yeah. And then there are other things that you're not allowed to talk to us about, so that's fine too. Yeah. That's fine. We'll that's fine. See. No, we'll the, the air of mystique is fine. We do that. It sounds good. Um, well, look, that's us. That was really brilliant. Thank you oh, so thank much. You. Really. I, uh, I'm really glad that we finally got the chance to sit down and do it because obviously we go back so far. Yeah. Um, that was great. And I wish you every success. And when we're sitting beside each other at the premiere watching Anne Hathaway, I will share my popcorn with you. <laughs> Better be vegan. <laughs> There you have it, the awesome Megan Reardon, another inspirational lady popping up on the podcast. It's been quite a few weeks of those, uh, and I'm absolutely delighted to say it's uh, it's been like that over the last little while. Megan's great. Like I said, we go back an awful long way, back to uh, our time trading with Dan Bogart over in Saratoga Springs. Um, someone of an awful lot of time for uh, a really great theatre maker, and uh, and someone who's just great to be around, someone who I, uh, I wish huge success for in the future. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around town as we look around Dublin 
Um, the Gate has that production of Glen Gary Glen Ross, which is doing so well for them down there. Uh, the Viking Theatre out in Clontarf has Nuts and Bolts by Fiona Looney, and that's performed by Deirdre Donnelly. That'll, of course, be followed by Rose by Mike Martin Sherman. Um, the Helix in Ballymun has The Wheelchair on My Face from Sonia Kelly, which was uh, one of uh, the show in a bag shows from a couple of years ago. And that's there, obviously, as part of its ongoing national tour. Do check out the Fishamble website, fishamble.com, to get further details and dates on where Sonia will be bringing that. At Bewley's Cafe Theatre we have Peter Sheridan's 47 Roses and that will be followed by Macklin, Method and Madness uh, also there in Bewley's. The new theatre has the Dublin James Joyce Festival with a whole load of different Joyce themed shows, Joyce related shows. That's worth checking out their website there at the new theatre. The Pavilion has travesties from Rough Magic with uh, the wonderful Peter Daly attached there um, which unfortunately it looks like I'm now not going to get a chance to see because I'll be tied up in the Abbey, um, but uh, by all accounts, out of the rehearsal room, there's some great work going on there, and uh, and that could be something really worth going to check out. Rough Magic are always just an incredible company who make incredible work. Go and support them if you can. And at the Abbey Theatre downstairs at the Peacock, we have Pat Kinnavan's Silent, uh, and upstairs we have The House by Tom Murphy. Uh, now in previews and uh, and opening up then next week. It's um, it's a special show, kids. I'm saying it to you every week, but this is one that's really worth checking it out. Um, I'm still blown away every day by the cast we've assembled for this the whole team is just phenomenal I think you're in for a treat guys I really do Uh, look as we move around the country then we go to Cork and the Opera House has that touring production of The Country Girls Um, up to Belfast we have the importance of being earnest with the great Paddy Scully and Ailish Simmons who I did Romeo and Juliet with man over 10 years ago now at this stage Ailish is great Uh, that's certainly going to be one worth checking out that's on up at the Lyric in Belfast and as we move west to Galway, the all-conquering Druid Murphy uh, is still at the town hall, um, hearing great reports back from that, people who made it down to see the the first day of the, the cycle, seeing all three plays back-to-back, which must be just such an amazing experience. I can't wait to do it at some point in the very near future. Um, but that's, you know, just got to be something really special in there. What a company of actors they have down there, too. I think uh, Tom Murphy's been well-served this summer. It's, uh, it's great to see. So, look, that is us. That is episode three. 31 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. Bye.